0: And we are live with our 166th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson, at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Ken and I are excited to be here. There's a lot to cover today. Um, There's been a lot that's happening in the industry and in the world. That's related to security, so you know there's there's quite a bit that we do want to discuss today. Uh, please please join the uh, Slack or the YouTube comments section in order to get your view in and also ask any questions. Uh, but before we jump into that, Ken and I will be in Omaha next week for Kernel Con. There are a, there are still a couple of seats available for that training course. If you are interested, you know last minute to jump in, please please do. Um, otherwise there will be an opportunity at the end of June to take the course publicly at, uh, Locomoco sec, some mythical conference that exists out on an mm. Island somewhere. Um, I think we have to like apparate to get there or something like that. Right. Like, I don't know. Um, anyway, so we're, we, we will be teaching at both of those conferences. Um, and it feels like travel is picking back up. I'm sure there'll be other stuff. That will get dropped on the calendar. If you have a conference, if you have a B sides event that does training, offers training that you would like us to teach at, just let us know. We're more than happy to submit CFTs or, yeah, like we just want to kind of spread the love with the secure code review stuff. Um, it it helps all of us and it helps the industry be better. So there's there's a reason that we do it. Um, outside of the fact that we like to see people and you know at least. For me, right, Ken, I'm ready to get back out there and, you know, just, just push it. It feels like it's been a long time, so it's it's time, right?
0: Absolutely, yeah. I also have a, oh well, yeah, well, I have, I have an idea for some some add on training that I felt like was around static, uh, uh, or sorry, source code review for, um, uh, in, in terms of an incident response focus. Um, oh. so we'll, we'll chat more about that. Cause that's something that kind of, uh, has been really relevant. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think there's some lessons learned and that we could share there as well. So anyways, sure. we'll, we'll talk yeah. about that.
1: I mean, I know in the course we always talk about, there's like different reviews that we do from a, you know. Kind of a defense perspective right there's your your traditional hey we need a code review on this project here's all the code that you need to make it there's like pull request reviews where it's just you know hey this you know these changes to the code or even just like yearly reviews where we're only you know doing deltas that kind of thing but we really haven't talked about incident response reviews right um so it would be interesting to jump to dive into that deeper um because I know both you and I have been asked in the past, oh, crap, we've been hacked. How did they get in, right? We know it was this page. And having to comb through code and do dynamic stuff there becomes it, – it can become difficult, right?
0: Yeah. So No, I think uh, <clears throat> it's a skill set in and of itself, for sure, separate from normal source code review, whether you're doing that, yeah, from like a offensive adversarial bend or not. Uh Yeah. But in any case, I think it's something we can add add to it, and I have some thoughts there. So we should definitely, uh, and I know you've done a lot, so definitely something to to chat about. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyways, so next week, Omaha Embassy next Suites <laughs> should be fun. <laughs>
1: Woohoo, Embassy <laughs> <MC> Suites! <laughs> so,
0: should be a good time.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, um, it, it'll be good. Um, I mean, you know, check out colonelcon.org uh, for the the actual track. So training is Wednesday, Thursday. That's when we'll be teaching, but we will be there Friday for the conference as well. Conference runs Friday, Saturday. Um, and yeah, there's, there's also some good talks and some other stuff that's going on with the conference. So we would encourage people to go. Um, yeah, it will be good. Um, so speaking of which, which of these uh, articles do you want to jump into first?
0: Ken? Oh, Gosh, um let me look
1: uh we could you want to start with that waf one i think that was interesting oh, yeah. so and okay wafs web application firewalls um yeah when these came about what this would have been i i, I mean it, as a technology they're not as old as like a a, a normal firewall um their layer seven firewall. If you're thinking about the OSI model, um, but basically, uh, they they started being very popular. What early 2010s? Um, I was thinking about it. I was trying to remember. <clears throat> I, think I think you're right. Imperva <clears throat> came out probably a little bit earlier than that, like 2005, six, seven, somewhere in there. I like I remember dealing with them pre, but they became very popular. Oh, early 2010s right as we I were f5 too right yep yep f5 had their has their advanced protection module or application protection apm something like that right they have a WAF module as well um, but all they do is they look for signatures on a layer seven uh, at layer seven not on layer seven at layer seven um, they have some enhancements to actually do you know detection of various attacks um things like sql injection they do a pretty good job of seeing and catching and eliminating um but then there's a there's a whole research arm of bypassing web application firewalls that is super interesting as well i remember the first time i ever analyzed one um imperva way back in the day right like Granted, you know, gray hair, whatever. Um, like, I remember that you know uh, the the web application file would would catch like and uh, like a and one equals one, right? If you were trying to yeah. do like a SQL injection, but it wouldn't catch a you know and uh, with quotes around like a equals b, right? Like, or a equals a, well, if you put quotes around it, right? Like, there there were things like that in the early days any new technology as it comes out is obviously going to have flaws but it was fun to like poke at those bypasses and show people how easy it was because it's been represented as a hey you don't need to do application security if you just throw in a firewall right uh just depend on cloudflare just depend on cloudfront to handle this for you and xss and sql injection will no longer be a problem you don't have to you don't have to code to it right and And so, okay, so that brings us to this article. Um, By the way, can I add to that? I think that it's probably,
0: I suspect, not an issue with the engineers designing these products, but Mm -hmm. what we've seen over and over again, which is salespeople that have bottom lines to meet that promise the world and don't actually, you know, follow the guidance that an engineer, like there's no way engineers are like, yeah, you just drop it in and it'll work. No, like they know, you need to set up con- custom rules. You need to tune it yeah. for your application. There's going to be some work done. It's not something that somebody who's uned- uneducated in, uh, you know, web app security should uh, and how, ha- and hasn't taken any training or doesn't have any familiarity with the product should just be dropping in. And I think, Usually what I've seen with and this is not just WAFs, this is just in general in this industry. I'm sure you've come I know you've come across this where you know it's like here's the tool, that's great. Uh, but here's a bunch of promises that mean nothing and aren't true because I want to meet my bottom line as a salesperson. Yeah. And it's just a disconnect between the engineering and the sales org uh part. And yeah. yeah. And I think like to add also onto this is that a few years later, that was kind of the um refreshing aspect of signal sciences waf product and that it operated a little bit differently um but they specifically you know you have very uh, incredibly technical um engineers who are also leaders of the company um you know selling helping uh build and deploy and troubleshoot their product where whereas it you know it wasn't like a, an F five or it's a big company and you've got like that disconnect. So I think there was there was some around twenty thirteen, I wanna say, there was a lot of like uh that's when signal sciences started really, I think, making some some waves. And then shortly thereafter, then it became a do you wanna use a WAF or a RASP? And then there, there's the WAF versus RASP. So that's like the brief yeah. history, I think, in my in, in, in how I remember it, but you know,
1: that's just me. I yeah, no, that. I mean you're absolutely right. It was we we've always had this problem in security, right? That like hey, we're just going to throw a bunch of money at a specific tech and it's going to take care of our problems, right? There's there's very much this bullet uh, like silver bullet syndrome um that we've talked about for years, you know, first it was oh, all you need is a firewall. Oh, you don't actually need people to run that. Um like it, we had we always had issues with that. Um because of certain executives way back in the day at like the bank that I worked at who would just go like, uh, you know, he'd look at the Gartner like quadrant for some Hmm. new up and coming and talk to some salespeople, buy a product and then basically walk over to the security engineers and drop a product in their lap and say, Hey, we're going to start using this now. And you start looking at it. at something like a WAF, And you're like, uh, this takes daily care and feeding. Did you like budget for any extra, you know, manpower? No, nah, no, nah, you just, you know, signed a check, bought the product and it was new and shiny. So obviously it's going to take care of all our problems. right? And so that's not necessarily on Imperva, F5, Signal Sciences or any of the WAF or RASP providers. It's very much a misunderstanding of how those products integrate into custom applications and i think that's the problem we've always dealt with is you and i are uh like well i mean product security application security in general we focus on custom developed applications and not necessarily cots products um and the reason for Absolutely. that is be- is because that's where the that's where the I mean, that's why a company builds or has developers is they have something that's custom that they want to put out there that's specific to their business practices, to their, yeah, to their products, to their customers. And it's not going to get the same scrutiny as a COTS products, that product that Oracle is building to sell to, you know, 5,000 different organizations or Microsoft or whoever else. So I mean, there's a reason why we spend a lot of time on that. That's all I'm trying to say. So, yeah, yeah I'm, sure, I'm right? not sure where I'm going with that. Nah, it's just, I'm just,
0: just the the history. I think it's, it's it's important before we. I just feel like it's it's important to kind of go through the history of WAPs because they're you know I don't I don't know what the current um, popular opinion is on them, but I know what the popular opinion was back then and why I think that popular opinion existed that WAFs were, you know, basically an expensive, useless tool. And I don't think that's, I think it's, again, it, it's everything we're saying. It's, it's just, you need to put the time and care into it. Also, you need to understand it's not just security that's deploying and using this product. It's going to be multiple departments. You're probably going to have to work with your SRE or op folks. You're probably going to have to work with your uh, developers to, uh, inevitably they're going to be the ones, just, you know, who who have issues that surface because of say a WAF blocking Traffic that's actually intent, intentional, and and what am I trying to say? Non-malicious traffic, like normal traffic, uh, something will get blocked. That that's pretty common, um, and uh, you are going to have application developers responding to it. And So it's it's a multi-department uh, sort of deployment thing, right? So it's not just security that's involved, but it is typically security who's the uh, customer of or, and buying the product.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, one of my favorite things with a WAF because it it was, okay, so PCI section, what, 6.6, way back in the day. Um, How do you basic- remember
0: that? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
1: because it came up so much. But yes, I, I realized, whatever. Okay, so back in the day, 6.6 of PCI was the application security requirement of PCI DSS, like the data security standard, and it had a couple of things that you could do. You could do a yearly like application penetration test. You could um uh what like a or a source code review, or the third thing was you could deploy a WAF. And so yeah. for and and so like I've got to, okay, so what would an organization do that doesn't have contacts in the security industry, that doesn't have right like you know, and it was almost a coup by the WAF providers to get this inserted in PCI DSS because it drove a whole bunch of sales, which I totally get. It's totally fair, and a WAF does provide value. I'm not saying that it doesn't, um, but I still see this kind of compliance check that people drop into WAFs. So this article, in and of itself, does not surprise me. Is what I'm what I'm driving at. You know, half of the orgs use it to paper over flaws to hit that compliance check. I mean, how many times, I, well, I can't tell you how many times that I've looked at like AWS CloudFront WAF deployments and all it is is basically IP restriction may, and maybe, you know, DDoS protection and that's it. It doesn't actually implement any of like the SQL injection cross-site scripting or anything else, ru- any other rules because those are difficult, but it's very easy to get that checkbox to say, oh yeah, 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 we just, we use we use AWS's CloudFront WAF and you You don't have to worry about it because it's already there. They're paper overing the flaws, and a well deployed WAF can prevent exploitation of vulnerabilities that exist in code. so it's not it's not a bad control to have, but it's just implemented in a poor manner or you know when it is or there's bypasses to it. Not having a holistic approach to your application security program will end up. Burning you, right? Like it'll end up costing you in the end.
0: Yep. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Sorry. I'm like, now that brings us it. to
1: yeah. the
0: article, which okay. is. yes <laughs> No, no, no. I mean, I think that's all relevant information because it definitely plays into why this is sad, depressing, and hilarious all at the same time. Um, damn it. Where did I? I somehow closed the article. Why am I? I'm like, uh, not, ta- I'm tab tab deficient i don't know can do it do you
1: even computer i don't know right like I do, you, do you do even cyber well, cyber cyber
0: <laughs> i don't cyber well um right so this is about half of orgs using web app firewall to paper over flaws um so the survey asked 136 it cy- cyber security there's my favorite term again
1: cyber cyber
0: I hate that term. For those watching who don't know, I hate that term. It's just so stupid and weird and I don't like it. Anyways, and application development professionals from organizations across more than 20 industry verticals about their application development practices. So that's a lot of people, right? Or that's a lot of groups, 136 groups, basically, um, or professionals. Uh, So to reduce risk to their web apps, 14% admit to using WAFs instead of patching flaws. Okay. Yeah. And 36% say they use wafs as a temporary safeguard before getting around to patching and that doesn't seem like a big deal to me. Because think about like <clears throat> the first part 14%, yeah, it's kind of gross. You need to patch your stuff. But 36% using the waf as a as a safe as a temporary safeguard, that does make sense. Like if you think about log4j, what would be the quickest way to to fix that in an instant across multiple uh apps deployed around your organization write in a rule deny the the you know the strings that are the attack strings that are used to exploit the uh log4j flaw while you do a proper like inventory and you know upgrade and and test testing the remediation um in like say staging uh prior to deploying to prod um, or deploying the changes to prod that you have like a safe way to sort of like immediately cut off, um, attacks while you do the, the, the proper longer term, uh, approach which can take a long time. That's why I say like, if you have something that can immediately cut off, uh, an exploit at the knees, um, while you do the, like the longer term stuff, that's going to take some time. That's amazing. That's great. That's fine. I think that's fine. I don't know. What are your opinions on that Seth.
1: No, I, I mean, that's how we've always advocated use of the WAF is it's a great stopgap solution. And it's also a great, you know, I don't know, I, unknown unknowns attacks, right? Um, those are kind of the two surfaces where I see it being extremely useful. If you know about a vulnerability... You gotta go fix it, right? Like I, I realize that there's time constraints, and I realize there's development constraints. But the longer that you leave something like that out there, the more likely that it is to, to get exposed or to get to get exploited. But the, uh, yeah, it, it feels like that's that's the proper use of of the WAF technology that we've advocated for so long, right? Um, and I did, I was trying to read through it too. Yeah. I mean, it, total percentage of people that use WAFs, 74% versus 72%. Like that's, that's pretty much the same. Um, and uh, like, I, I am encouraged that that's how, I mean, it's taken us a long way to get here, but I can, I can pull up training texts from back in 2008, the reference or 2009, whatever the reference WAFs. And we always talked about, these are the shortcomings. You should use it as a stopgap solution. And I'm very certain that we used it, that we said stopgap or that it's yeah. in that, you know, but it's taken us a long time or a long time to the industry to really get there. Um, and so I like, it'll be interesting to see over time how that actually is impacted and how it, how it grows or if it does grow from here, or if we're kind of at like peak usage. I, Yeah. I don't know I like but I I think things like rasp and signal you know signal sciences like the 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 better engineered wafs probably are um are in use as well I I mean I'd be interested to see what the comparison is between waf and like rasp and you know how that's actually um, ac- actually being implemented. I'm sure we could get, you know, Dave back on to talk about what they see. Right. From I was just thinking that yeah. contrast perspective. We've had Dave Lindner on the show before. He's the, I think he's the CISO over at contrast now. Um, yeah. but you know, he could probably talk more to that. Cause I know, I know he does. They do like state of the industry style surveys and things like that as well. Um, and it might be useful to, to run that down because it is, it is an interesting topic to see where those trends are going.
0: So. Yeah. And here's the, uh, I'm going to put post a link to that episode where we did talk about, um, all right. So this here is this link that's up on your screen. That's the one for David Linder, where we talk about rasps, wafts, and and all that, that jazz. But, uh, yeah, I don't think like now, let me ask you this. Is there ever a time you think where patching as a stopgap could go wrong and, uh, be misused? Like I was thinking of scenarios where it's just like you have, uh, uh, I was going to use the word pen test. I don't, a vulnerability assessment of your application. (laughs) And, uh, they, they, uh, you know, come back with potentially a couple higher critical findings and, um, We'll say one of them's like I don't know SSRF or you know injection of some kind. You know, is there is there a time when you think uh, it's inappropriate to rely on patching? Because they kind of say that I mean they almost provide it, it ha- to me. It reads almost like in a negative bend. I don't know if that's just me the way I'm reading this, but uh, you know, like I said with Log4j, I actually think it's a positive thing if you use it as a temporary safeguard. But are there times where it's not? do you think there are times where it's not a good thing to use it as a temporary stop? Yeah. Say in a situation where it's something like what I mentioned, where it's not just like log for J it's actually like very specific to your custom application that you have some flaw or something like that. I mm-hmm. see what what I mean by patching, like because you know, you could, you could interpret that either by like patching, meaning upgrading dependencies, uh, updating the, the build that you're, Uh, for the os your your app runs on you could interpret that as like the actual like like i said maybe you've introduced in your custom code ssrf and you're patching that i don't i don't know like
1: yeah so the only the only condition that i would place on it is be careful where you get your rules from right if you're not you know if if the administrators that are running your WAF are not well-versed in creating their own custom rules. They're probably copying those from some other place. And so I'm thinking of the situation with Log4j. Um, and it's probably more of just like an application denial of service style um, exploit or, you know, vulner- not even vulnerability. I don't want to say that. But like, you know, you can denial of service your own application if you introduce rules that aren't well-crafted. In any firewall or any blocking technology, um, you know, they you know, most of them have things have wildcards built into it. They have you know regular expression denial of service can happen against the WAF itself, and it can get overloaded. So you've got to be really careful with the the rules that are put into place in any in any blocking technology. Um, just from a, a application ability, availability perspective. Um, so like, I don't necessarily see this as, as, as negative as like, I think the article first comes up, especially when you read that title, right? Like, oh, you're using it to paper over flaws. I like, I don't yeah. think that's the case, right? Like my big takeaway is, um, yeah, they use it to mitigate risk, right? Right. That temporary patch solution is right in line with what I would expect. Yeah. Um the ones that use it to you know to patch their flaws that's what i'm more concerned about like the 50% like what they use the in the title grab there half of orgs uh eh, no that's not that's not necessarily how i read that data what i read yeah. is there's you know there's still 15 to 20% of orgs that only use a fire the web application firewall um and that's more concerning to me right than the 35% right. or the, you know, 50% that are using it as a temporary backfill. 60% of the time it works a
0: hundred percent of the time.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, there's always going to be bypasses like that. That's why I'm, I, yeah, I'm concerned about that one in five or the one in six that that's the only solution that they have. Um, and I, I mean, there's, there's tools out there that'll identify the WAF for you, right? Like there's certain signatures you can tell based on cookies, based on, um, header responses, other things like what kind of WAF is actually in play. Right. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, not to mention IP addresses, right? Like, you know, a cloud, you, you're getting black blocked by a WAF. It'll give you a specific type of error message. Um, and then you know what you're playing with and what you're trying to get around. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess that was, yeah, I, I don't know. That was a long winded way to say, yeah, you just got to be careful about what's being deployed. No, no. I think that
0: you've comprehensively. Um, yeah. I mean, I, 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 that was a deep question. Uh, not a, I mean, it was, it's not a, it's not an easy question to answer. So you kind of do have to go in depth on uh the pros and cons and when it's okay to patch and how it's okay. And, it, and unpacking these stats, you know, do they make sense? It is, it is like, obviously uh, uh, not a massive pool of uh, uh, it's not a massive survey, you know, it's 134, I think, or something like that people that they surveyed. So um, yeah. Anyways. Um, so I was curious if uh, we got nothing else there to cover. Um did you wanna I think you had mentioned something about the latest r-
1: Russia cyber Oh yes, it? yes I'm sorry come on, it's it's all MPM. That's your Ballywick now, right?
0: <laughs> oh yes, this this stuff, right? Yeah, fun times Protest <laughs> Open where?
1: source stab sabotage. <laughs> Huzzah. And I'm pretty sure uh somebody dropped it into. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Who was that? It was in our Slack channel. It actually popped up in our Slack channel from where is that? I'm missing it. Um, See,
0: you're having the tab. I have tab fatigue. Let's let's that uh, or uh, coin
1: that term rather. Yeah, from Cyclops, right? And in our Slack, right? Like he he dropped this in there, and like we've been talking about software supply chain attacks for what it feels like forever, right? Like the last year. It's been a huge thing. We've seen it happen multiple times. We've seen takeovers. We've seen um, people drop packages. We've seen people introduce random crap into, into popular packages, like even the maintainers themselves. But at this point, we're actually looking at maintainers that are targeting Russian and Belarusian systems based on i'm like and i haven't i haven't looked too deep in, in the article as far as how it's being done like how they're doing the identification but it's protest where right um it almost feels like we're dialing back the internet to the, the the anarchist days of um hacktivism right like but it's through like open source package maintainers that are doing it as opposed to anonymous or whoever else but it it, it's super interesting to actually see and i know you you know like i know you have opinions on this ken so like what are your thoughts around it
0: um yeah let's start with the biggie here because i just caught it and it's it's gonna bother me if i don't address this oh man open system preferences dang it i was gonna share my screen uh i'll have to quit if i do that never mind it's just bothering me. Here, I'll just I'll put in a I'll put in a, I'll copy and paste the actual title of a link that's on the so as I'm reading this article, you know, like Vice has its other articles on the right side, and uh, this is um, a critically important thing that I need to bring up. It's not GitHub with the h downcased. It's GitHub with the h upcase. This happens all the time. It's driving me nuts. This is my TED talk. I'm going to spend the next 10 minutes talking about the proper way to spell GitHub. You know, it gets under my skin. (laughs) It's so annoying, man. It's on the site articles like Facebook, GitHub repo spam with messages, supporting repo. (laughs) And they spell it wrong. Every vice, get it together. Okay. You're not spelling GitHub, right? This is an important (laughs) issue. Fix it. No, no, all jokes aside. Um, uh, so back to the, the actual issue at hand. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I mean, I think, I think I made it like, somewhat clear in Slack. Like I think this protest where is, uh, somebody, so Anthony raised a good point in Slack that, you know, it's, I guess it's bringing some awareness to the, you know, there's either implicit or explicit trust in the sort of like, uh, implicit trust, uh, nature of these open source dependencies. It's, I guess, bringing some awareness, uh, to that to the fact that we have this trust relationship with people we don't really know and with code that they develop and all of that, and I, I hear that point. I think that uh, there's there's uh, other ways to go about doing that if if awareness was the goal, right that are uh, not necessarily destructive in nature. Um, I think it's absolute garbage to create software, uh, get people to use it, um, you know, support the community. Uh, and then decide, hey, I'm going to abuse that trust that people have put in. And and keep in mind, a lot of times, and I don't know, you know, the potential or or the, sorry, the specific package that we're talking about here, but a lot of times it's typically multiple people that are contributing, uh, you know, to that. That's why it's open source, right? You have multiple contributors. It's not typically just the one person. Well, I shouldn't say that. There are often open source projects where it's just the one person who does a lot of, or the majority of, of developing on that. But, you know, as the, as a project grows and matures and it becomes, you know, used by more and more folks, there are oftentimes scenarios where multiple uh, developers are contributing to something. And so, like, what about those people that didn't want to, you know, have trust broken with a package and cause, you know, issues with people's computers? And um, and also, by the way, like it, this, this you know, the one example that we had talked about was... Uh, I think the RIA evangelist uh, yeah. node IPC package where it was like, yeah, that didn't just like mess up Eastern European computers. That was like a, a actual like legit issue uh, in many places outside of those locations. So um, this is uh this is horseshit. That's what I think of it. If you want my honest opinion, it's horseshit. Like stop doing it. It's, it's not a good, it's not a good thing. That's, that's, I guess the easiest way I can say it, but like, or the, the easiest way I can express my feelings on it. But uh,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I mean yeah. It's, it's the it's the law of unintended consequences, right? Um, yeah. and it yeah, it affects more than just those single packages, the people that are depending on that package, because of the way that the way that NPM works, the way that these packages are pulled into large applications that you know someone may not necessarily know that they are using node IPC. Right, and which means that it, it's going to affect a wider swath of the population than just the target in and of itself. And uh, so, so, so I'm with you, right? Like, and, and this is where it goes back to kind of the whole hacktivism slash anarchy uh, feel that I was talking about. Is you know, this was the sort of stuff that happened. Man, I I keep dating myself this episode, Ken, but you know, back in the, you know that's all right, urn, grandpa. I, we yeah, know it's exactly.
0: time for 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 Jeopardy and uh I mean yeah,
1: exactly. It is. I know it's Love time for said. dinner. <laughs> it's time for dinner. <laughs> um so back in like the early days of the internet, it was a very popular thing to, you know, to to be a hacktivist and to go you know, deface sites to go explore, you know, to drop names. I, it's almost like tagging, right? Like it was, you know, tagging to get your to get your opinion out or your awareness wow. out. Yeah, exactly. To build some rep. Um, and it does feel a little bit like the gloves have come off over the last month. And like we're starting to live that law of unintended consequences. It's affecting things that we didn't necessarily intend the developer probably didn't intend for it to wipe systems that were in other places but i'm sure that it has because we have systems in those places that depend on like the encoding or those keyboards or whatever it is that are that's being targeted um and you know it's it's great to bring attention to an issue i don't want to get around that um but it needs to be a, be done in a way that isn't that isn't destructive yeah yeah Yeah. i I mean you know i i know the flip side to that there could be an argument there that oh if it's just if it's not destructive that people won't realize it but I, i there's other ways to do that that aren't as impactful to you know somebody just living their life or making you know being able to perform their job or you know not costing an organization millions of dollars to clean up that kind of thing it's a philosophical, you know, conversation i guess in a in a
0: way that's similar to like peaceful versus uh, you know, aggressive uh protests, so like burning and looting things versus, you know, like marching and being respectful, you know, and and there's there's arguments on either side. But i can confidently say that this is just it it's destructive. It breeds a distrust even further in in an I mean, let's be honest. Trust has been obviously eroding for at least a decade, uh, easily at least a decade in the supply chain um, of software, <clears throat> and um, more is being done these days to try and uh, like we we talked a few weeks ago, I think, about it the the company that was um, using behavior heuristics to uh, thwart malicious packages from being. Uh, this would actually fall safely within that, by the way. I think. Um, no, I don't think it's it's a file operation that would be over. Yeah, it should fall un, under you know dangerous behavior. Um, so, and then there's like software bill of material. There's a bunch of things we're doing to to sort of like uh, counteract that that eroding trust in in the, the supply chain of software. But uh, stuff like this, man, I just I don't I have a hard time because also, I guess, because I'm, maybe I'm too close to it too, because I actually work with the teams that, you know, deal with like this, this abuse and they deal specifically with, you know, NPM specifically, like everything around it, like from the vulnerabilities that are discovered in NPM to like any, um any abuse that occurs in this fashion. And I know how it affects people and how, how negatively it impacts their life. And these are not bad people. These are not people that deserve that. And so sometimes, yeah, maybe I'm just too close to it and it pisses me off, but it, it for sure gets under my skin when, uh, this protest where crap comes out. So, um, I, maybe I'm just the wrong person to give an opinion on it probably because I'm not (laughs) objective. I can, I can safely say that.
1: Yeah. Um, It's tough, right? Like I'm, it, it is a philosophical discussion and I, I understand that change only happens when there, there are things that there's that, things are uncomfortable for the powers that be. Right. Like it's, you know, that's, that, that's part of the society that we live in. Um, so like I get it. Um, but it, it's, to a degree, it's degree.
0: But who is actually like impacted. Yeah. By this? Is it the people? Well, and intend? that's the
1: thing, like who, who is the pain actually hitting here? Right. Like, um, did it really recognize it? Did it, did it really have the intended effect? Um, and, and I, I just keep going back to law of unintended consequences. Um, it was a, it was a gut decision by someone to release this software to do this within that, the, the concept of the trust that they had been given, they broke that trust. Um, uh, there's no taking that back, right? There, there, there's no rewinding to the point that people are going to trust that package ever again. Um, and I, like, I would almost argue it's going to, it's going to push people like us to be doing more and more, uh, reviews or source code reviews on third-party packages that are being sourced into different applications. Um, That's the requirement. That's what's coming down the pipe. And it's going to prevent popular packages from becoming as popular as they could be and probably negatively affecting other developers of popular packages. Again, unintended consequences because people won't pick those up because they don't trust them right like they may have some great tech in there they may have some great coding that would help their developers Uh, yeah it's just this there's waves of issues that that cascade from this that aren't necessarily a part of yeah the intended consequences right yeah yeah
0: now I see the the article that Aaron posted. Some of their some of them mentioned that that article is not potentially not real, and that you know this stuff didn't really happen and Russian disinformation and yada yada yada. And uh, then Aaron points out uh, that it's not not sure if it's confirmed, but there's a claim from an NGO that the last messages from soldiers, soldiers deal, detailing war crimes were lost. I don't know about any of that. I can speak, I guess, also a little bit to. Uh, How does GitHub deal with that abuse? Uh, We have a pretty standard um, way of dealing. There's obviously prioritization around. uh, I can just speak to it at a high level. So we have a doesn't mean this specific case, just in general, like with with, uh, malicious packages. We do have an abuse, like a abuse team that handles things like this, and they just prioritize like how you would, you know, figure they would prioritize packages that need to be looked at to see if they uh you know need to be removed from the platform. Obviously we don't want malicious content being distributed. Um, you know, so they use I don't have, I'm not privy to all the metrics they use and, and all of that, but it's it's pretty, you know, if it's a high priority, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be yanked. Um they try to avoid that actually though. Um there's a lot that goes into the whole and I maybe I I'm gonna write it down. Maybe I can get uh, somebody from abuse to kind of speak
1: through that. I it would be interesting, Ken, because like that would be how it's yeah. actually like how the rubber hits the road. There is really it's really relevant to what's going on right now um, right. because I, I mean I know you guys deal with it. Um, there's there's other organizations that are dealing with the same thing, and it, I, oh, this goes to the other right, like the other cyber. Cybersecurity news that happened this week where you know the president comes out and says, Oh, you better turn on your your security protections now in the industry, right? Like Yeah. Oh, like I I loved now. it was was Jerry's response was like, Oh, well, let me go push the security button, right? Like, let me go turn that on. Um, because we don't do that otherwise, right? Um
0: I saw that this morning and it's just like, Really? Yeah. Great.
1: Great. You're like really we, like Yeah. Like we haven't been targeted for the last you know, <laughs> decade coming from, do you want to see the logs that yeah, it's it's, coming from Russia and oh my gosh, other places? Like, yeah.
0: No, from the very day I got into security, uh, no, no joke. From the very day I got into security professionally, not just like something I did in my off time for fun, uh, China and Russia. Yeah. Num- I mean, n- number one and two, and I don't know which one's which, you know, yeah uh, the being attacked yeah it's that's nothing new i don't I don't know what the point of that was, but cool yeah yeah, yeah watching this guy's I, on t v again yeah
1: yeah exactly i i mean I feel like it was it was kind of a you know, oh, we're being targeted right like yeah we we're always targeted, great um, and I'm like, okay, but if right like the the amount of traffic that's coming out of Russia now, right? Like, and you know, is probably way less than it actually was, right? Like, I just, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so there's that, that, that whole piece as well. But that goes, that feeds into the, you know, the response, right? Like, w- what is it that you're doing to prevent, right? Like, okay, a package gets taken over. You know, w- what's the process? What actually happens? What what avenues do uh developers have to notify package maintainers like how does that actually need to happen um there, there's uh there there's quite a bit that a you know the sec person should know about if they see some of those packages you know what where they should actually turn to i mean npm is you know fairly well known but even some of the other smaller package repositories I know those guys all talk. I know you all talk with, you know, together about maintaining security. Um, There's gotta be a, you know, a good alert system, a good way to let people know that something bad is happening and, um, you know, get that taken care of. Yeah, yeah. no,
0: it's
1: sorry. What's that? No, no,
0: go ahead. Oh, like a DEF CON level. Nice. Yeah. Sorry, I'm reading the comments. Um, yeah, I mean, actually, you know, a question I have for folks: if you, if you want to give feedback on security features you'd like to see in npm, you know, throw that in Slack. I can't can't guarantee anything, obviously, but like uh, we are working, you know, to to consistently improve the security of uh specifically npm since that's owned by github so you know if you have things that you'd like to see security feature wise feel free to to share in slack or dm me even if you want to do that um either way it'd be, be great uh but yeah like um no so i mean yeah it, it, it's it's a pretty um i gotta say just to like pull a package there's a lot of thought go- that goes into it it's not some and you know subsequently to like warn about it or, or something like that. Basically, you, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty big decision. Um, it can obviously cause issues, quite a bit of issues when you pull a package. So it's really not something that um, it, it would have to be, you know, it, it is typically something drastic like this, that, that qualifies qualifies uh, for that. But um, yeah, I do think like, it, as I'm getting into this, sorry, I again, reading the comments. I think it's best that I do pull in, um, try to try to pull in somebody from the abuse team to kind of cover this and make sure that we're okay to discuss certain things, you know, publicly as well. Um, I don't want to get myself or anyone else in hot water, but um, if I can do it, that's certainly something I plan on doing is pulling in the abuse folks. Okay. But yeah, any feedback for like security things people like to see, uh, that'd be great.
1: Yeah.
0: See what I can pass along.
1: Yeah. I mean, we did have that list a couple of weeks ago that we talked about of like the things that a, a package maintainer can do to secure their right. repository. Right. Like that's, mm-hmm. and that's, I, I mean, that's number one, right. Outside of, uh, you know, some of the other stuff that's going on and being pushed in the, re, into the repository. And yeah, the amount of code that's in there is, you know, somewhat ridiculous when you really start to think about it. I mean, but Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely
1: see. Uh,
0: I see why, uh, you know, uh, it, Adam Baldwin had told me, you know, when he came on board, he was like, man, I uh, it's been a, it's been a long ride. And I, I, you know, I see it now. I get it. Uh, it's it's a it's a lot of work to secure these package ecosystems. Yep. It's, um, it's a labor of love for sure. So um, cool. So do we have anything else you want to talk about on that front?
1: Uh, no, I don't. So we got think like so. seven
0: minutes left. I figured, yeah. figured we could probably fit in probably one more topic before we hop off.
1: Yeah, I know. Like we kind of teased out that we were going to talk about passwords last week, but I I think that's a bigger discussion than seven the seven minutes that we have left today. So uh, um, maybe we talk about that new uh, Apple Safari. Um, okay. CSP stuff, right? Um, Throwing
0: it in right now. Okay. To Slack. Yeah, there's some changes. Pull one text to PDF node package and half the internet goes down. <laughs> yeah. <that's laughs> there was actually like a PDF, HTML to PDF, uh, Vuln, I had seen, um, patched actually, speaking of, uh, recently, but I can't remember all the details. It might even be on the Daily Swig site is where, where I might have seen that. Um, but in any case, um, yeah, so Apple Safari empowers developers. uh Okay, so this one, uh, it's interesting. And I have thoughts because I have to be honest, I've definitely heard from folks who are privy to like the W3C world that Apple has typically in the past been a bit difficult to kind of... They want to do their own proprietary things more often than not. And so getting them to like go with a standard that all browser folks... Uh, agree with and that can become a standard and getting Apple to actually like follow, follow the standard as it was, uh, conceptualized it's been an issue in the past. I don't know if that's still the case, but, um, it, you know, this is a, an example of Apple doing a few things here. Um, one thing I thought was really interesting. So they they they've got support here for CSP three, the, um, so I remember Neil, uh, talking about how he, use the, you know, you can, you have a report URI, you can um, get reports for uh, CSP failures. And he had tried to do that, but it was so much information and it was so noisy that he's like, I'm convinced there's no way that it's ever going to be, uh, you know, or in its current iteration or uh, current form, it's not going to be useful, right? It's just going to get too many reports and all of that. But one thing they've added here is the ability to give a directive for report samples. So you get a very supposedly get a pretty succinct um, uh, error from when, you know, CSP goes wrong, right? Or right, depending on how you look at it and blocks something. Um, So it gives you a nice little sample report and uh, uh, it's supposed to be more actionable, um, basically less nonsense being sent and just a, a better way to collect metrics. So that I'm actually really interested to hear about, like, Obviously, it's going to take probably a few months for people to um, get this in, um, uh, get this change into their apps, and then get uh, a decent amount of metrics collected and then some analysis done. So, I, t- I expect that's going to take at least three to six months, I would imagine. But I would be curious to follow up with folks that actually had implemented that report sampling um, for CSP and to see if it actually, you know, they found it to be useful. So. Um, that's one of the big things I took away from this. That was super interesting. Um, yeah, your thoughts. I'm curious.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was looking through the, you know, CSP V3 or yeah. Level three, whatever you want to call it as well. Like there's some new great additions to this. I mean, one of the things that was interesting is they're actually removing their XSS auditor. Um, that's built into WebKit, right? Um, because of the, the, because of CS, CSAP, ah, CSP and COEP. Um, I'm trying to remember what so COEP stands for.
0: Oh, but, yeah. I don't know. COEP. What is that?
1: Yeah. But I like, we, we've, we've said that in the past. The,
0: origin embedder policy. Embedder. Per response per header prevents a document from loading any cross-origin resources that don't explicitly grant the document permission. Oh,
1: yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just cross-origin. Okay. Yeah. So it's part of the cross-origin pr- pr- protections that are built in, right? But CSP and COEP prevents cross-site scripting in and of itself. Like, like we've said that for a long time. Um, you know, that initial policy that was built out by GitHub you know, years ago at this point that prevented cross-site scripting from being a risk, right? Like it it means that the browser developers have recognized that and they're starting to dial back on some of those active preventions that were built into the browsers because we don't need them anymore, right? Um, so that was interesting. Uh, anything that helps with the reporting mechanisms is going to be great uh, because like we you get so much data. It's, it was almost like, The amount of data that came out of the out of CSP report URI had to be like you had to dump it into like to machine learning or something to to identify anything that was really interesting to you because of the amount. That's what Neil was talking to previously. So like it'll be interesting to see. I think your you know six month you know three to six month target on that is probably optimistic right like it just based on how long it takes some of this to actually roll out um i know people upgrade browsers fairly often but there's still so much old stuff that's out there i I, you know i I wonder how much is actually going to implement csp version or level three uh in the next six months but we'll see yeah um i like i like this they kind of touch
0: on this in the uh you know synopsis or summary of this but like i like the fact that we're moving to a world where we're trying to just build security in by default for you know developers and for users um so stuff like this you know it's awesome i i as always though it's like you know it's great that apple's doing this i hope uh it's a standard you know kind of uh you see this employed in all browsers all major browsers um because obviously safari is a Statistically, a small small, per, uh, smallish percentage uh, depends on your site and who your users are and your, your, your user base and all that. But um, so that's obviously subjective. But um, yeah, I do like... Uh, yeah, so a growing trend, however, is to somewhat rel- relieve developers of such effort by creating t- technologies which increase security by design. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And it's, I think, a good trend. I don't want developers to completely lose sight of security for sure, but there are a lot of little things they... Nuances. I wouldn't expect somebody who's uh, trying to build an app to to know. Uh, it's a different skill set. So, and finally, support has been removed from XSS Auditor. Which say the developers, oh, okay. XSS Auditor has been removed. Support for it superseded by
1: yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I
0: don't think there's a ton to cover here. I guess I think we've covered, we covered. wing, Yeah,
1: yeah. I think it's more interesting, like talking about CSP level three, as uh, that's getting rolled out. Mm-hmm. Um that has more effect than anything else. And I, I know that, it, like, Chrome probably already has support for CSB Level 3. Um, oh, oh, let's see, browser support. Yeah, that's what I wanted to see. Do-do-do-do-do. But I will say
0: whenever I talk about XSS, I'm, that's pretty much my first always go-to is UCSB. Yep. Because um, inevitably XSS is going to happen. It's just, it's just it's just the way it works. It's just building an app, you're, you're probably going to introduce uh, cross-site scripting. So.
1: Yeah, it looks like Chrome 59 plus has partial support, right? Firefox and then this version of Safari. Um, do we need to talk about uh, Internet Explorer, no, yeah, <laughs> Edge. <laughs> Edge. Yeah, I don't know. Edge has partial support um, as well, but I think that's because it does use WebKit, if I remember right. So mm-hmm. it's similar to Chrome behind the scenes. So anyway, yeah, cool. Yeah, I think that's a that's probably about it. Use CSP if you're concerned about cross-site scripting. Use CSP. That's that's the takeaway that we we've, we've got on this one um cool all right well let's see we're we're running over time a little bit um kenny ken any are we doing yeah
0: Yeah. actually i guess we have to figure out if we're doing an episode next week or if we do the episode at the conference um like after a day of training or um yeah i guess we're we'll we'll figure that out and i guess let folks know but
1: Okay, I we'll think post about it would be nice
0: to be in the same room for once yeah. and just do it um, there, you know, yep. maybe would pull be. in one of the conference organizers to to talk a bit. Maybe, maybe
1: if we can yeah. grab some of their time. Yeah, no, that would be great. Um, let's do that. So, so next week, let's so plan on, if you're listening, um, plan on us doing an episode probably, you know, later in the week. It'll probably be on Wednesday or Thursday evening as we have some time. Uh, We'll live stream out some of that that's going on. Watch for updates from KernelCon, Con. Um, And yeah, it would be, you know, if you're there, you're interested, jump up and say hi. And like, we'd for sure love to have people on, you know, Adam or some of the other organizers that are around. Um, We could have a discussion with them uh, as well. So that, that makes more sense to me as well, Ken. So we'll do that.
0: Sweet. Well, thanks for everybody for, for listening and we'll uh, get you more details on next week's episode. But yeah, for, if you're going to be at o- in Omaha and you're going to be at KernelCon, we'll see you then. Be very excited to, uh, oh my gosh, dude, I'm pumped. This is our first conference back in person. So yes, yes, yes it's going to be, I love be giving awesome. this course in person. I make yeah. no bones about it. It's my favorite way to give it. So it's
1: yep. amazing. Yep, It's going to be super fun. Um, and, you know, like we said, there's a couple more seats available. Last this is kind of last call for it. So if you can make it, um, please do. We'd love to see you. Love to have you in that course, um, either here or at Locomoco Sec. And, you know, a, that may be a little bit more expensive to get there if you don't live on, you know, in Hawaii. So um, this is a good opportunity. But there will be other opportunities coming up as well. Yes. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining, and we'll talk to everybody next week. Bye. Ciao.